welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. pastors, leaders here at TLCN, we've been going through this teaching series called Charisma. And so far, we've taught on gifts like evangelism, mercy, knowledge, teaching, wisdom. And today, I'll be teaching on exhortation and shepherding. And next week, Missy will be speaking on service and mercy, which I'm super excited for because she usually doesn't speak at the front, but when she does, like, the Spirit does stuff. So I'm, I'm super excited for that. Um, she's probably like, oh. <laughs> but pray for her. Um, send her a text. Encourage her in that way. Again, she usually doesn't speak up here, but um, yeah, the Spirit just moves through her, so it's, it's really awesome. Um, our church's hope is that you would discover your gift and use it for the upbuilding of our community. As Christ followers, we've been given the mandate to serve in ministry. In other words, ministry simply means to use your gifts to usher in the kingdom. And TLC doesn't want to be a church that ushers in people on a Sunday service, grows a big crowd, and has a big building, but we want to be a church who ushers in the kingdom by making disciples, transforming our society, and a church who ushers in the, oh, serving in church, in serving in church ministry. So if you are a Christian, this is what God is calling each of you to do. And so my hope is that we move away from comfortable, casual Christianity and be good stewards of the gifts God has given us so that we can live out radical lives for Jesus Christ. This is what Timothy Keller says a spiritual gift is. Gifts are the abilities God gives us to meet the needs in Christ's name. Speaking, encouraging, serving, evangelizing, leading, administrating, counseling, discipling, organizing, and so on. John Piper gives this definition of what a spiritual gift is, and this comes right out of Romans 1. By the way, if, you, if John Piper and Timothy Keller and Michael Seaman believe that spiritual gifts are still operating in the church, I mean, it just has to be true. And so if, 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 if you have doubts or you're unsure, be open to it today, okay? So this is what John Piper says. A spiritual gift is an ability to given, uh, given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively for the upbuilding of another's faith. So spiritual gift is an ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively for the upbuilding of another's faith. So if we want to truly experience life-transforming community in the way that God wants us to, we have to allow the Spirit of God to move through each one of our gifts in order that we build up and strengthen the faith of the church. And when the body of Christ uses their spiritual gifts in unity, we get to experience the presence, power, and love of God. When we use our spiritual gifts, we get to experience the presence of God, the power of God, and the love of God. In other words, when Jamie is using her spiritual gift of intercession, she isn't just speaking words, but God is actually present there with her, giving her the spiritual power to heal, restore, and encourage. When Mike is apostolically leading and giving a vision for our church, 
This isn't just coming out of nowhere. But God is actually with him in that moment, giving God's vision and God's direction so that God's will be done and God's kingdom come. And when someone is discouraged or going through suffering and a person is using their spiritual gift of shepherding, God is literally right there with that person, extending the love, compassion, and peace of his character. Spiritual gifts are not merited or earned, but rather they are something that God, out of his good grace, gives the church and is a primary means in which people get to experience him. And so my hope and prayer is that through this teaching series, you would be encouraged, challenged, pushed forward in discovering your spiritual gifts, developing them, and using them to build up the body of Christ for the glory of God and his mission. So as I teach today, if exhortation or shepherding is not your gift, still try to listen intently because you might know people who are gifted in these areas where you can affirm and encourage them. And really quickly, before I, I, I go on to teaching these two gifts of exhortation and shepherding, here are four general questions that you can ask yourself to see if you are affirmed in these gifts. Uh, number one, do I have an unnatural joy when I serve in this way? And so when you pray, when you teach, when you administrate, when you give, do you have a deep sense of joy and fulfillment? One of my main gifts is evangelism. So I love telling people about Jesus. I love meeting new people, especially unbelievers building relationships, and having spiritual conversations about life. And this brings me genuine, a genuine sense of fulfillment and joy. Uh, question two that you can ask yourself, is the body of Christ being built up when I serve in this way? So when you are using your gift, are people experiencing the power, love, and presence of God? In other words, along with a deep sense of joy, are people's faith being strengthened? Is God, through your faith and through the power of the Holy Spirit, encouraging, building up, and pointing people to Jesus. Question three, am I good at this? Am I effective when I serve in this way? You might be terrible at evangelizing or teaching or shepherding, and when you try, bad things happen. People aren't built up, God doesn't show up, and it gets really awkward really fast. And side note, although you might not be gifted in certain areas, we're still called to exercise them in faith. And so if giving isn't your gift, God still calls you to give. If evangelism isn't your gift, God still calls you to tell your neighbors about Jesus. We never want to have the attitude of gift cop-out. Question four, do those around me affirm this gift? When you serve in ministry alongside your brothers and sisters, can they affirm that you have joy when you serve in this way and that the body of believers is being built up? So is there joy? Are people being edified? Are you effective? And do people affirm you? These are good questions to ask yourself in order to affirm if this is your gifting. And so as I mentioned earlier, the two gifts that I'll be teaching on is exhortation and shepherding. I'm going to start with exhortation. And TLC has come up with a common script and definitions for these gifts so that we're all united and sort of on the same page. Exhortation, when we get this out of Romans 12a, the spiritual capacity to communicate God's zeal by encouraging others to action through applying truth to their lives. So the spiritual capacity to communicate God's zeal by encouraging others to action through applying truth to their lives. So what does this gift look like when you follow Jesus and as you operate? What does this gift look like as you follow Jesus at TLC? Number one, you love to share truths with people. 
the very heartbeat of an exhorter is someone who loves to share biblical truths in order that people would be urged to live out what God has called them to. They will often, go, uh, they'll often give you very practical steps on how to live and what needs to be done in order to get there. Exhorters flourish in places like classroom settings, leading Bible studies, or preaching on Sunday services, just to name a few environments. Number two, you gravitate towards discouraged people and you can cheer them up. Synonyms for exhort include such words as admonish, persuade, instigate, urge, motivate, and excite. Exhorters have the gift to be able to trigger inner motivation in people through encouragement and excitement. Exhortation might start out as encouragement. For example, you know you can do this. You can overcome this. There is hope. But often ends in practical steps and in directions on how to get there. So pray and read your Bible every day so you can become more hopeful. Stop living like the world and start living like Jesus. Preach the gospel into your heart every day. Number three, you're bold and not afraid to say what fe- you're bold and not afraid to say what you feel needs to be said. Exhorters are not afraid to have godly confrontation, which is done in truth, love, and gentleness. And this reveals something in that person's heart, but also encourages them and gives them practical steps to move forward. Exhorters have the spiritual eyes to be able to see the spiritual temperature of a person or a group and has the burden and urge to speak truth into that situation. Others feel safe talking to you and appreciate your listening ear. You have a likable demeanor which allows people to feel safe talking to you in which they often share intimate details about their lives. People feel comfortable around you or comfortable around an exhorter and often leave feeling hopeful directed and encouraged. And so if you are an exhorter, what are some things to be careful of when you operate in this gift? Number one, you are only focused on solution giving. Sometimes when somebody confines in you, you're sometimes, you aren't sensitive towards how they feel, but often just want to give a solution and try to cure the problem, when really all that person needs is emotional comfort and for you just to be there and listen to them. Number two, you confront, but it's out of condemnation. When you, point, when you point out a sin or character flaw, you come down as condemning, and your heart attitude is, what's wrong with you? Why are you such a sinner? Why can't you get over your problems? And there's a real sense of pride and moral superiority. And they forget to be gracious, kind, loving, just as a father has been with them when they faltered. Number three, you overconfront with no encouragement. So often exhorters can fall into the trap of just pointing out character flaws in a person without actually encouraging them or giving them practical steps to move forward. People know that they are sinful. They have insecurities. And so when someone points those out, they need to be encouraged or the person can be left feeling discouraged and torn down. Proverbs 18 says that our tongue has the power to speak life or death into someone's life. And so we have to be weary of over-confronting without encouragement. Number four, not confronting enough. Even though an exhorter is being prompted by God to confront somebody, an exhorter can struggle with wanting the approval from people. So they disobey and they don't speak truth even though they, they know that they should. The exhorter is more concerned with what people will think 
instead of focusing on being obedient and faithful to what God is calling them to do. And if you are someone who isn't being confronted regularly about character flaws or sin issues in your life, the problem might not be also with the, the problem might not be with the exhorter, but it might be with you. You don't take criticism well, you're defensive, and you're harsh, which makes it a, which doesn't make it a safe environment for people to tell you about those character flaws or, or to confront you in those ways. Uh, number five, you use biblical truth in a legalistic way. Exhorters can fall into the trap of nurturing self-righteousness. Exhorters can urge and tell people that they need to live up to God's standard without gospel grace. When people exhort in this way, they can feel like they don't have to live up to... um, When people are exhorted in this way, they can feel like if they don't live up to God's standard, then God won't accept or love them. And then number six, exhorting in an untimely manner. So if you have this gift, God might want you to confront somebody, but the timing might not be right. So for example, if Sunday service is about to start, it probably isn't a good idea to approach that person during during that time because we want that time to be a time of joy and fellowship and relationship building. Or if you know that person is on Sabbath rest or taking time off with their family or children or they are on vacation, these are probably not good times to confront that person. So wait for good opportunities and times to approach that person so that they can receive that well. And so how can you encourage somebody who is gifted in this way? There's at least two ways. You can be very patient and encourage them. Exhortation takes time to develop and grow in. So even if someone doesn't exhort well, don't completely write them off and look down at them. Be patient, offer some godly advice that will help them grow in their gifting and build them up. When they do exhort, understand that godly confrontation isn't easy and it's actually really difficult for someone to do. Exhorters can often feel burdened because they know that when they do confront, the person might respond defensively or get upset at them, even if it's not their fault. Exhorters can often risk popularity because hearing rebuke is painful and difficult. And when they do take a step of faith and obedience, encourage them and tell them how thankful you are and that you appreciate them for doing that. And so how is Jesus our model? When we look at the Samaritan woman in John 4, Jesus confronts her sin out of love and gentleness by pointing out her sexual and moral life, but then offers her a solution by saying, I can give you living water. He confronts when necessary and urges and motivates people to live a life of obedience and faith. And we see this in Matthew 19, 21, when he, tells, when he tells a rich young ruler, if you want to follow me, go and sell everything you have. He always encouraged people to live out biblical truth in order, to grow, in order that people would grow in their character. And we see this all throughout the Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 and 7. Be salt and light. Do not be unrighteously angry. Don't pay back evil with evil. Love your enemies. Lay up treasures in heaven, and so on. Jesus always encouraged, but he also gave practical steps to move forward. We see this in Matthew 6. He encourages by saying, do not be anxious. And then he gives the practical steps of moving forward by saying, first seek his kingdom and his righteousness, and everything will be given unto you. And if we look at Mark 
2, 13 to 17, which uh, Michelle read out, Jesus calls Levi by saying, come, follow me. And then he reclines at the table of a house of many, many sinners and tax collectors. And then he pastors them, he shepherds them, and he tells them, I've come to heal the sick, which is a good segue into the next gift that I'm going to be speaking on, which is shepherding. And this comes outside of Ephesians 4.11. The capacity to exercise concern and care for the members of a group so as to encourage them in their growth, encourage them in their growth in Christ. If you have this gift, you care deeply for others, other believers, disunity in the church uh, disturbs you, you're protective over those you, over those you care for, you feel and take responsibility for other people's walks with God. You organically model what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. You're capable of building trust, uh, building up trust, respect, and confidence through long-term relationships, and you are naturally influential. So what does it look like to operate in this gift as you follow Jesus at TLC? So number one, you care deeply for others. Generally, when you see someone going through a tough time, you gravitate towards them. You have a deep burden for, uh, and you have a deep burden to care for their souls, and often feel sympathetic towards them. You want to encourage and give them hope to their situation, so that they can see the faithfulness and goodness of God. And this can be done in practical steps by praying for somebody, sharing a Bible verse, or just being with them in their presence and caring for them. Um, a few years ago, I think it was like two years ago, uh, I went to a grocery store. I was doing grocery shopping um, in the evening, and there was this black homeless kid, and he was uh, asking for money. And I didn't have money, but I had these hamburgers that I just bought. And so I gave him some of that. And as I was walking away, I felt like God saying, I think I should do more for him. And then I was like, ah, man, I'm going to have to eat cold hamburgers later. <laughs> but... Yeah, God was just prompting me. The Spirit was saying, you have, to, you have to do something more for this guy. And so I came back, and I asked him about his story and what he was doing on the street. And he said he got kicked out of his house, that he was having problems there, and he was looking for a job. He looked me in the eye with desperation and said, find me work. I'm strong, I'm capable, and I'm hardworking. And he actually pointed to his muscles. And so I asked him where he was staying, and he showed me this area behind this gas station, next to this dumpster, actually. And I told him I'd see what I could do for him, and I'd meet him back here tomorrow. And so I asked some friends on Facebook for help, and one friend messaged me back right away, and he told me that he worked at Young Street Missions. And if you guys know, if you guys know or are familiar with Young Street Missions, uh, it's an organization. And one of, them, one, of the, one of the things that they do is they help homeless people get rehabilitated and self-sustained through work opportunities. And so I got his information, and everything that I needed to give this person the next steps. And so I remember going there the next day, and it was like pouring rain. And, and we sat down, and we were talking, and God prompted me to share my testimony with them. And so I sat down, I, I shared my testimony with them, and, and we ended up praying together. And I didn't get to see him again after that. I don't know what happened. I don't know if he, if he really... Um, if um, yeah, if he, if he took those steps in moving forward, if, if he got re rehabilitated, if he, if he ended up getting a job, the great thing, too, is I actually asked him if he wanted to receive Christ in that day, and, and he said yes, um, which was awesome. And so 
regardless of what, whatever happened in that moment, I was obedient, I took a step of faith in, in sharing and, and caring for his soul in that way. And so he was able to experience um, the love and presence of God. Uh, number two, protect, uh, you protect those you care for and take responsibility for other people's walks with God. When there is disunity, in this, uh, when there is disunity strife, gossip, spiritual warfare, or a sinful lifestyle present in the church or with a person, you feel deeply burdened to want to protect and care for them and point them back to Jesus so that they, they can become more hopeful, encouraged, and pursue holiness. Number three, you are naturally influential and model what it means to be a fully devoted follower of Jesus. God has given you the gift to be influential in many ways. Shepherding can take the form of teaching, leadership, pastoral care, or discipleship. People feel encouraged when they are around you, and they learn and grow in their faith by the way you live and love and through your words and actions. A lot of the way that people grow is just by observing your godly lifestyle. For example, when you pray, you teach people to pray. When you love, you teach people to love. When you serve alongside people, you teach people to how to serve as well. When I first became a Christian seven years ago, I remember I started serving in youth ministry, and, and the lead pastor at the time modeled a godly life for me. I grew a lot under his discipleship, and, and it wasn't in doctrine or what the church was about or how to lead a Bible study, but I learned how to live in love like Jesus just by observing his life. This is something that really got rooted and shaped my faith, uh, which is something I'm really thankful for. Uh, number four, so lastly, you are good at long-term relationship building with people through trust. You are naturally good at building and keeping relationships with people. You feel called and responsible to walk with people through the very good seasons, but also carry their burdens through the very difficult times. People often trust you fairly easy and are confident that you will be there for them when you need encouragement, wisdom, prayer, teaching, and so on. You are constantly sacrificing yourself in order that other people's faiths are, faiths are built up and strengthened, and you get joy and fulfillment out of this. And so what are some things to be careful of when you operate in this gift? Number one, shepherding out of an empty tank. A lot of people who are gifted in shepherding run the danger of using this gift out of an empty tank. This is dangerous because if you aren't being spiritually renewed and filled through your spiritual disciplines like prayer, Sabbath, fasting, spiritual retreats, and so on, you will run the danger of relying on your own strength, wisdom, and power to lead. And in order for God's will to be done and his kingdom come, we want to be in constant communion and close relationship with him. Number two, you are always shepherding, but not being shepherded yourself. People who are gifted in this area are constantly sacrificing their time, energy, and resources for people. It is their joy to shepherd, but they can often easily become resentful and or lonely because people are rarely shepherding them, so they feel alone and used. Also, people gifted in this area might find it hard to have platonic relationships because most people just see them as someone who can help them out with their problems. And we forget that they need love and encouragement and genuine reciprocal friendship. Number three, number three, uh, your, gifted, your, your gift becomes your identity instead of Jesus. And this is sort of a hard one to see, but it's definitely there. The danger is that someone who is gifted in this area 
needs the approval of others. Therefore, shepherding does, uh, people doesn't become about healing, caring, feeding that person's soul for God's glory, but it's about the approval and love that you get back. In other words, you shepherd not for people's needs, but you do it of what you get in return. So your motives aren't people-centered, but they're you-centered. Your idol is knowing that people like and approve of you, and this is where you get your sense of worth and identity instead of Jesus. Uh, number four, healthy um, boundaries. You're the, you're the type of person who shepherds all the time, and you don't protect family time, personal time, friendship time, which can lead to broken relationships and burnout. You often feel like you have to be there for people all the time, even at the risk of your own relationships and health. This might be a red flag that this is an idol in your life because if this is your identity and worth, you are willing to sacrifice everything else so that you can have this in your life. Uh, for me, when I first got called into ministry a couple years ago, I had no definitions of, of healthy boundaries. And so I was constantly pouring myself out for people. And I would shepherd people all the time, every day, at the cost of relationships, uh, personal time, and Sabbath. And I ended up being tired, resentful, and, and burnt out. Uh, but now I've created healthy boundaries so that I can have a good ministry and work-life balance. And so these are things that you need to be aware, about, uh, aware for. Uh, number five, you are results-orientated. People who shepherd can often become results-orientated instead of obedience and faith-orientated. In, in other words, it isn't your responsibility to force someone to have fruit, but it is your responsibility to love and care for that person by pointing them to Jesus. You might, not, you might not be able to see immediate fruit or see it in the way that you want, but God in his sovereignty and in a million different ways is working out his goodwill, and he's using your gift to shepherd people. And so don't lose hope and persevere. So how can we encourage people who are gifted in this area? Shepherd them. Take time to ask him how they are doing and how you can pray for them and support them. And the lie of the enemy is that people who shepherd have it all together and don't struggle with insecurities and sins. So we need to be sensitive towards them. They are no different than you and in, and in need as much grace and encouragement as you do. Uh, encourage them. People who shepherd are constantly sacrificing their time, energy, and resources for people, all the while carrying their own burdens. People gifted in this area can often feel inadequate, lonely, and discouraged. So encourage them in really practical ways like writing them a note, sending them an email, taking them out for lunch or dinner, saying how much you appreciate all their hard work and sacrifice. Uh, number three, thank them. Shepherding can feel like a thankless responsibility. People who are gifted in this area are constantly pouring out their heart and souls so that others can flourish. Their lives are an outpouring of constant sacrifice, care, and love for their sheep. People gifted in this area, sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice. So take time, even today, to think of someone who has shepherded you or discipled you and made some impact, whether small or big, and reach out to them and, and tell them that you're thankful for them. Um, one thing that I did for Mike and Missy last week or two weeks ago is um, we went to go eat at this restaurant called uh, Hua Sang. I don't know if you guys have ever been there before. There's one downtown in Spadina. 
Uh, there's also one in Thornhill. This one's a lot more nice and, and, and neat. And, and so this was just my way of saying thank you to them. Um, and if, actually, it's funny, because if you know Mike, he doesn't, like, he doesn't eat a lot. Um, but this time, after everybody finished, he was still eating for like another 15 or, or 20 minutes. And, and you know that when you're eating something really good, like in the beginning, it, it, in your head, it, it sounds like a good idea. And then you keep eating and eating, and, and you start to maybe like sweat a little bit, and your stomach starts to stick out, and you, and you start to feel like slow and tired. And at the very end, I remember like very specifically, Mike like let out this like, ah, all right, I'm done. <laughs> and so, and then Missy looked at him and said, I'm so hot for you right now. <laughs> I'm kidding. She, did, she, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. Uh, she didn't say that at all. <laughs> And so how is Jesus our model? Jesus guided and cared for his sheep. We see this in 1 Peter 2.25, when sheep were being led astray, Jesus guides them back to the Father. He was there for people who felt discouraged, lost, and hopeless. He was there for those who went through deep and dark valleys, and he comforted them. Jesus feeds his sheep. In John 6, he says, I'm the bread of life. And in John 14, 4, he says, I am the living, eternal water. Jesus is the great shepherd who gives his sheep spiritual food and water so that they can be content and satisfied. Number three, Jesus sacrifices. He sacrificed his time, his energy, his resources in order that others would benefit from his kingdom work. And which you see that we see this in John 10, 11. He says, I'm the good shepherd, and the, shepherd uh, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He not only sacrifices his time, energy, and resources for people, but he sacrifices himself by death on a cross for sinners like you and me. Lastly, Jesus loved people unconditionally. Even when he knew that he would be abandoned, betrayed, criticized by both family and friends, he still loved and cared for them unconditionally. Even in his darkest moment, leading up to the cross and then his final death, he kept loving people. And so how can you develop these two gifts? Constant practice. One of the best ways to discover your gifts is just to serve. So as you pursue Jesus, as you love Jesus, you'll find out quickly the ways that you are gifted and the ways that you aren't. And when you do find out the ways that you are gifted, keep practicing them. Your church leaders and fellow brothers and sisters should make it a safe place for you to make mistakes. It's only by, it's only by trial and error that you will be able to develop this gift. Number two, have faith and be open to the Spirit. Trust that God has given you one gift or maybe even more to strengthen up the body of believers. If you aren't at least open to the possibility that God has given you gifts, you might be quenching the Spirit and releasing you into something into a more abundant ministry and inner joy. Number three, prayer. 1 Corinthians 14.1 says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So spend time in prayer and ask God to reveal which gifts he has given you and ask for opportunities and safe places to discover and practice them. And then lastly, dwell in the word. The word of God will prune out wrong motives in your heart so, that you don't use your, so you don't use your gifts for selfish reasons. 
The Word of God gives us an example of Jesus who you should follow when using these gifts. And lastly, the Word of God will build up your faith as you look at how the kingdom of God was ushered in. And you'll see all the ways people benefited when they experienced the power, presence, and love of God. So let me just close with this. Jesus Christ, who was the great shepherd, became a lamb who came to die and take away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ spent his ministry exhorting, encouraging, and pointing people to the Father. And in his darkest moment on the cross, he was abandoned by friends, family. And when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was silence. Jesus, who used the gifts of shepherding and exhortation so that others would feel the power, love, and presence of God, felt the loneliness, wrath, and judgment of God on the cross. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that was on him brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. Jesus chose death so that we could have life. Jesus surrendered all his spiritual gifts on the cross so that now we can have them. So our motive, our passion, and the reason why we usher in the kingdom and are part of the greatest unfolding eternal plan of God is Jesus Christ. And so those gifted in exhortation and shepherding and those who are gifted in other ways, be encouraged, persevere through the difficult times, and let the love and joy of Jesus motivate you to point people to him and to usher in his kingdom because God deserves all the praise and all the glory. Let's pray. God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, for giving us the ultimate gift who was crushed, who was pierced, and who by his wounds we were, we were healed. We've been given life. And God, we didn't earn it, we didn't merit it, but Christ became our righteousness. And because of that, because of his life, because of his death, because of his resurrection, God, you sent us the Holy Spirit so that we could use our gifts for ministry. And so help us to, to take a step of boldness and courage to discover these gifts, to develop them, and to use them for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.